La 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 la. Testing, testing. Testing, 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 testing. Um, Yours is hot near the laptop, mine is. Yeah, no, I know. It's not. Um, it's definitely not recording into the computer. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mudville podcast. It is Thursday, February 15th, and you are all of our Valentines. And I'm one of your hosts, Nolan Rabine. I am another one of your hosts, Brody Staub. We want to start off this episode with a quick apology for how long it's been since you beautiful people have gotten to hear our voices. Unfortunately, waiting uh, due to some language, obscure language in our contract that we had to wait until Blake Snell signed due to our collective agent, Scott Boris, telling us we had to be the first to break the news, but we were just telling him, Scott, like this is getting ridiculous. We've got to make an episode. We're going to preview each division, uh, run through all 30 teams, Teams, their lineups, rotations, who they've got cooking in the farm system, and uh, who we think is going to take home each division title this year. Then we're going to do a fun episode with some of our bold predictions, playoff awards, um, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. And we're going to put that on Patreon. So you can find that at patreon.com slash mudville. Go sign up right now. So when the time comes, you will be able to get all that good stuff. But Brody, it's baseball season. We're back. The big game is over and it was a big one. Where did you watch it? Yeah, I think it was uh, lived up to the hype, actually, this time. I, I I was not excited for this game at all, which might have been why. I just thought, you know, 49ers, Chiefs, you can't get lamer or more boring. Uh, which, you know, going in again, like the characters and the storylines, I think that was kind of fair to say. But it was a fun game. I enjoyed watching it. I think Brock Purdy showed a lot of people a lot that he is capable of that nobody really believed that he was capable of and uh, the Chiefs established a dynasty so good good things on both sides although did you see today the 49ers fired Steve Wilkes I did see that and I was pretty confused by it I think that's no a little sense. no it's it's a shitty move by Kyle Shanahan honestly but it sounds like yeah. you're a little hot about it so I'm gonna let you go on that well yeah it's just like you know how many Super Bowls have gone to overtime I think it's two. like five no, two. two. It's just, it's two. just two. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. uh, so, this one and the uh, Patriots 28-3 game. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. That was, the, the, was it James White? James White, yep. 34-28. They decided then to part ways with their defensive coordinator whose unit carried them the whole game. In the middle of the game, due to him celebrating, running on the field and tearing something, like it's it's ridiculous. Exactly, you suffer a freak injury like that. You know, like you said, the Niners' defense has carried them all year. You got guys like Nick Bosa and Chase Young, Fred Warner, Fred Dr- Warner, Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, it, it's sad. like it's yeah. If you're gonna argue that Wilkes' execution of that unit cost your team the game when you're playing against arguably the greatest quarterback of all time certainly the greatest of his generation you've got your team out there suffering freak injuries getting unnecessary penalties i mean um yeah look it, it i think it's being rightfully called out as a scapegoat move by kyle shanahan to try to get uh, some of the blame off of him and i think ultimately it's going to be kind of a strice and effect thing where it's going to lead to a lot more scrutiny towards the um head coach regime um for the niners can next I, season can i editorialize a little bit of course i think that that decision I, I think Kyle Shanahan could not handle people questioning 
you know, you made the mistake and the whole thing about, like, the team not knowing the rule and overtime and all that. I think Shanahan then realizing it's like, what what can I do? I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I don't know if it was a conscious decision. But part of him says, okay, the only thing that I can do, I can't blame it on the offense because that's me, right? Kyle Shanahan's the offensive guru. Uh, you can't blame it on the special teams because that's ridiculous. Uh, so the only thing you can do is turn to the defense and say, you guys did not do enough and we got beat. Yeah. <laughs> And so he gets rid of Steve Wilkes, and then now, uh, yeah, I think everything is going to fall apart. I think you're right. What is the Streisand effect again? That was based on what, Chin, right? It's like calling attention to something that you shouldn't have, and then it gets worse? Basically, it's like you make a decision to try to um, have some sort of effect on like public perception, and doing so ends up exacerbating the problem you're trying to avoid uh it was like when the orioles tried to hide her address (laughs) online and then everybody then knew that she was trying to do that which means everybody then found the mansion that she was trying to hide the address of something like that yeah i mean it's like when uh the orioles fired kevin brown for that totally benign criticism and then it ended up being like a three-day scandal what stood out to me, going back to the 49ers, I think that that interview Shanahan gave where they were saying that they wanted the ball third in overtime, um, he's either lying about that or they were just overthinking it like to such an extent that I think it reveals a lot of maybe the, the flaws in the game plan that may have ultimately cost them the game. Like, you know, I saw somebody very accurately say they gave Pat Mahomes four downs instead of three. And speaking of which, the play that, you know, stood out to me the most in that game was that fourth and one snap when the Chiefs needed to score and they took the snap and Mahomes ran the option that just completely faked out San Fran and like put them up towards midfield. Like that was an incredibly ballsy play call. Like I was really shocked that they didn't just try to force that up the gut or try to like tush push or or whatever the fuck they were doing. Um, There was was a lot of moments that you had to just kind of step back and say well it happened on both sides but mainly with I mean, the chiefs it's just like this team is just something else like they are up to the par that the dy- or of dynasty that the patriots were um and just their ability to fight back and surprise and just scratch and claw and any other cliche that you want to say that this team refuses to lose or whatever <laughs> they're 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 every bit as good as that uh those brady teams I think because there's two Patriot dynasties. There's one from the 2000s that was uh, one of the 2010s. This reminds me more of the 2010s. It's honestly interesting because I feel like there's one Patriots dynasty and they found success on bookends of that time period. And it's a little bit strange to like look back at in hindsight because they had those few years where they like won a bunch of Super Bowls in like the early 2000s. And then they lost, of course, two to the Giants in 07 to that in uh, 2011. And then. Yeah, they did. And then the next two that they were in were the games against the Seahawks and the Falcons, which, of course, everybody remembers right. the interception yeah, Russell Wilson not, threw. and then bad games for them. Like, yeah, no, I, I mean... I look at it, they won, but I mean, that's like... I mean, I guess you could say the big comeback is good for the image overall, but you were down a lot. I have long thought that the perception of of those games does not take into account what a disaster it would have been for Brady and Belichick's legacy had they not pulled out that interception against the Seahawks and that 
of course, incredible comeback against the Falcons because like that would have been a yep. four Super Bowl losing streak for them, like That's rivaling the the Bills. Like they wouldn't have taken one since I think like two thousand and three. Like at that point, it would have been fifteen years. That's yeah. Different. No, well, yeah, okay, fair enough, but like four, four in four years is different. Than yeah, four in ten years. But no, like those were the first two Super Bowls I personally remembered Brady winning because I wasn't watching when I was five in two thousand three. Right. Um, right. But then they played that terribly boring game against the Rams. Um, the worst. It was so boring, and then uh, he got the other one in Tampa. So it's like I don't know. I I wasn't rooting for either team necessarily like I, I would have been happy to see either of them win i just wanted to get a good game and that's what i got so like i was totally happy with that but part of me wanted patrick mahomes to win just so that like the people who treat brady like gretzky like there will like never be anybody like him again like i just i wanted that fair, there was narrative. no reason to think that like, no like, no 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 of, of course like i think brady is much more comparable to like jordan in that sense but like even jordan had like 15 years before he really had to to question like am i still the the greatest of of all time or has like somebody else passed me like it's very obvious to compare mahomes to lebron but like at least like jordan got over a decade of being people's mind the undisputed goat like mahomes is here already yeah set that super bowl record <laughs> broken a, a quarter later oh yeah that was insane like they had three of the four longest field goals ever in any super bowl they were all in, in, in this game that's a lame thing to come out being the like the crazy story <laughs> mahomes now he's got three rings at age 28 like and yeah. we and you know like, like i was saying like brady had that two and then it took him another like 10 years to win over 10 years after that to win another title before he went on that string so it's like i don't know the mahomes truly has like the ceiling for his legacy is like unprecedented greatness well, and, uh, so you it's know really what it reminds me of actually more than anything and i for some reason have not heard anybody bring this up really mahomes is on a similar career path to Derek jeter more than LeBron or anything. Three out of four to start, Jeter. He did that, except he did four out of five. Just saying. Um, but it's it's weird that I haven't heard that brought up because if you talk about winners in sports over the last couple decades, like, you know, like like winner, win, like championships and the whole deal and whatever. Granted, this is, you know, like we're, we're in New York. This is biased. Jeter was a god to us growing up and whatever. Um, but he, for some reason, has kind of, like, maybe it's because he's so present as being, like, around now as just, like, an old guy or whatever. Or maybe because he had such pronounced failure in Miami or something. But his, like, maybe it was because it was so long ago. And, like, the back half of his career, they didn't win anything because <laughs> they had, like, Jason Nix hanging out on the team. I don't know why this has not been brought up. But, like, Jeter won four out of his five, or first five years. So, if you want to... Have, like again, maybe it's because Mahomes is like the centerpiece and Jeter was at the shortstop, but whatever. He was like the young rookie who showed up, they started winning, he was the face of the franchise, the whole deal. If you asked anybody in two thousand like or in two thousand, how many do you think that this kid is gonna win? Like they don't seem like they can lose, you would have said, like, I don't know, like eight, nine, ten in the next few years, I feel like this team is never gonna lose again. Right. And they didn't win again until two thousand nine. Like, granted they were there, they lost a couple times, they had the 04 fiasco um but like dynasties like this you know it, it 
it might seem like it's impossible to conceive of them losing or whatever, but eh, you know anything can happen. That's very true, and it, it, it honestly makes me want to further my LeBron comparison. Like now that he's won a championship with like Marquez Valdez Scantling as his best receiver. Right. I mean, no, it's not yeah. true. No disrespect to Rashi Rice, but for like well, yeah. most of the season, I mean, that's who he was throwing the ball to. You know, we were watching right. those games where. Kadarius Tony would like sell him down the river and they were like well there's no way you're gonna win this year and then he goes and he pulls out a championship with like the worst team he'll probably ever have at least for the next like few years so really incredible stuff like it's there's no reason to doubt them um at all like until until they lose don't doubt them reminds me of LeBron taking Zadranis Elgoskis to the finals but like he didn't win that you know <laughs> the, the Chiefs did they went out and they beat probably the best team in football like I would I would be willing to say that about San Francisco like they were yeah. clearly certainly deserved to be in the Super Bowl yeah they just got bested by like really an all-time dynasty and i think that goes back to why like you really don't need to fire anybody after that like you just lost like that right. just, it is what it is you know yeah, you, back <laughs> to our original point it's weird that they fired their defensive coordinator yeah so strange yeah. it's uh it's weird and it yeah really you can sum it up with my favorite phrase i think in all of sports which is sometimes you just get beat <laughs> it's not anyone's fault teams at this level it's just sometimes you, the other team's just better and that's not like a that doesn't take away from what you've accomplished. It's just you just get beat. Absolutely. Much like uh, the Bills. Much <laughs> like the Bills, which that's a tough pill to swallow for Bills fans. But it really, you know, Tom Brady did this to a lot of quarterbacks in his career. Look at Peyton, Drew Brees, Phil Rivers. Well, Phil Rivers was beaten by his own poor play in when it mattered. Um, but, <laughs> the like, it's, it's, a, it's just the way that, you know, the league goes when there's, there's only one representative from each division and if you're in the bad one <laughs> you're kind of screwed <laughs> lots of people were pulling for a lions ravens super bowl which is why there was a lot of like oh yeah. chiefs niners i don't want to watch that i was honestly yeah. excited for the game i feel like i was more into it than, than most people like as someone who Definitely. doesn't really have a problem with either of these teams like i said I you know i just wanted to see boring it. and i am just always just anybody but the Chiefs. It's not like they're like one of those teams where they make other teams like play down to them. Like they like like teams have to play up to them if they're going to beat the Niners, and that's what the Chiefs right. did. And that's why I was yeah. happy with the game. Anyway, should we move on to the good sport now? Yeah, I feel like it's probably time to move on to the sport that our podcast is about. It's probably time for some very timely discussion about the Corbin Burns deal. Let's dive right. And what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was finally, because I don't know if the listeners remember uh, in our American league preview for the 2023 season, uh, I floated the idea of the Orioles trading for Burns. Uh, and I feel like baseball had been waiting a long time for the Orioles to make not this move specifically but a move like this because it had just been so obvious for so long that they were in a singular position where they could realistically trade for anybody on the market without even having to move one of their top 
prospects like Jackson Holiday, obviously completely un- untouchable, but also Samuel Basayo is not being moved. Kobe Mayo not being traded. Colton Kowser, you know, in- unless you know one of these pitchers with like three years left on their contract becomes available. If one of those guys gets moved, so be it. But the fact that they still have all of them on the table after trading for a guy who can go out and win a Cy Young any year uh, is a really huge win. And I know that we should probably say what the return was. Uh, The Orioles traded Joey Ortiz, the infielder, uh, shortstop, second baseman, who debuted towards the end of last year. And the lefty fireballer, D.L. Hall, who would like to be a starter but has a lot of bullpen risk. Pretty much the lone bright spot for the Orioles in that playoff series against Texas. Nothing went right for them except for the few innings that he pitched. So that probably went a long way in negotiations here. Uh, And then they also... Yeah, um, like ridiculous <laughs> that they were able to like this seems like nothing for what they're I mean who's willing to give the like nobody else could like match this offer like I don't get it. That is a little surprising. Um I, I want to mention also they they also received the uh 34th pick, one of the compensatory picks which I did not know yeah, were able to be traded until now. Um, I, I still am not clear on how that works. Yeah, you can't that. trade draft picks but you can trade these picks from like 31 through 37 or what have you so like why i i I don't really get it so like the orioles i believe moved the pick that they received from gunner henderson winning rookie of the year not entirely certain on that but uh yeah i i didn't know that you could move comp picks you learn something new every day that was the return for the final year of corbin burns contract uh and brody you just brought up something that i feel like has been a pretty common sentiment around this deal which is especially from teams of other contenders looking from an arm which is nobody could have beat this offer um, you, you know, like I said, I feel like I have conflicting thoughts on that because on one hand, I do like this this return. Um, I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Joey Ortiz. Like he, were he in a less crowded system, I feel like there would have been a lot more attention on him over the past year. You know, especially like the fact that he's debuted already and i think he's shown that he has a pretty high floor you know he doesn't have the raw power and like blazing speed of some of these guys but like i think he's going to be a very solid shortstop for quite a while um brody you asked my initial reaction as well um i was a little surprised because i thought they were going to go for a more depth-based package and i thought that maybe they were going to keep joey ortiz around so that they could utilize his defense at short which would allow them to bring jackson holiday up straight out of camp if they are at all concerned about his defense they could just throw him at second and then have joey ortiz at short uh, I felt like maybe that would make Jordan Westberg expendable. See what I mean with like all of these guys that can be moved realistically for a pitcher, and it's not a single one of them has that 
oh yeah, you just want to move that guy because nobody wants him. Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar vibe around him. Just a testament to how well the Orioles have drafted over the past few years that they were and are still in that situation. I just saw today that they have interest in Jesus Lazardo, who they can easily go out and get from the Marlins, or, you know, they could still go out and get Dylan Cease or Shane Bieber or whoever. Yeah, they've got tons more assets to go. Clearly signals a uh, rebuild for Milwaukee, but... Brody, what were your first thoughts about this deal? My first thoughts were, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, that was, uh, it also, it was, that makes a lot of sense. It was uh, also finally, because they've had that unscratchable itch seemingly of top end pitching for two years, it feels like. Um, granted, last year was the year they showed up, like for the first time, if you want to say that. But uh, two years ago, I think it was kind of clear this team was about to pop. Um, but they, uh, and they had no pitching at all to speak of. Um, but Corbin Burns slots in perfectly with this team. It makes a lot of sense and it's really scary. <laughs> um, if you're a fan of a team in the AL East, um, which unfortunately we happen to be. Um, but this, uh, this Orioles team is going to be really good, man. I am wary of just how young they are still. Um, it feels like they ran out of steam at the end last year and, you know, like they weren't hurt to my memory. No, they weren't at all. They just got beat by a better team. Like I said, though, DL Hall was really the only bright spot for them. Like this team is so young, um, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they are adding Jackson holiday, which they are, which they will be (laughs) just like, good God, man. Um, this team is scary. A lot of potential this season. Sky's the limit. Obviously, they're going to be, I would think, obvious contender for a 100-win team. Adding Corbin Burns take this team from a DS exit to a World Series victory is the question, I suppose. I don't know because, again, a lot of these guys are so young and it's hard to project with guys that are, you know, this much of a question mark. I will say that it's it can't hurt <laughs> at the very least. I think it's very safe to say this team should be making a CS at minimum or else it's a failure of a season. I think you add in the fact that they have a new ownership coming in. This is all very good times in Baltimore. Like the only thing that kind of is making me feel any kind of doubt uh, with this team is the rest of the American League. And that being the Rangers, who I feel like for some reason are being disrespected going into this season now. Um, coming off of a World Series victory. I don't know if you feel that, but... I totally agree about a stacked American League, and in particular, a stacked American League East. I was going to yeah. ask you if you think this trade makes the Orioles favorites in the AL East, or did you think that they already were, and then this just put them over the top? I think they already were. I think that this keeps them there for sure. I will say, like, this is, I, I will step aside my biases for a minute. Everybody knows I'm a Yankee fan. I mean, this is a Yankee team this year with a shit ton to prove, and every single person on this roster is in a walk here, it feels like. Um, you only have one Soto for one year. If I was the fan, uh, if I was a fan of the Orioles, I would be nervous about the Yankees, um, but they don't have the pitching now that they are going to need. I, I, in, I think. I think somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to have a problem at the top end of their rotation. I don't. I think it'll be Garrett Cole. He seems to be a horse, knock on wood. The uh, the team is, you know, primed to go out there and compete this year. So if you're the Orioles, I'd say that's who you have to worry about. And, you know, and they're in the, your division. So the first thing you have to do is get through the division. I think they're a better team than the Yankees. I think they should win more games. I think they should be able to win the division. 
Um, but if they have to meet in the playoffs, I mean, the Yankees have a lot of guys who have been there, done that, uh, and they are really kind of needing to prove something this year. Whereas the Orioles are here for a long time, they have a lot to prove to do, being that they're young, but they're going to be around for a while. Um, meanwhile, the Yankees, this is like one year, hyper-focused, put it on the gas, like the whole deal. I think that I'm kind of giving away my projections for where the playoffs are going to go. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, I feel like this is uh, this is going to be a fun season in the division, at the very least. I think the Blue Jays are weird. I don't think they're going to really be a factor. I think the Rays are going to be interesting. But they're they're going to be the Rays. The Rays are the Rays. They're, <laughs> I don't think they're going to go like 15-0 and 0 to start the year again. No. Um, they're definitely no. going to be there at the end. It's going to be like a three-and-a-half horse race with the Blue Jays. You know, They're always kind of like, can they make the playoffs? Yeah, this uh, this can't even really sleep on Boston. Like, it's I'm crazy. I know, I know. What the, are they gonna? They're gonna win eighty five games. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, if they win more than that, good for them. I'd be surprised. Uh, but yeah, this is gonna be a fun, fun year in the division. Scary year in the division, but a fun year. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we said, they already needed to make the Corbin Burns trade when they did, and then just this morning, I mean, we saw why when we learned that Kyle Bradish has a UCL sprain that's going to keep him out for a couple weeks, and they think he's going to try to pitch through it, but we saw how that went with Andrew Painter last year, is all I have to say about that. And then Fangraphs has Cole Irvin slotting into that five spot now with Bradish going down. Yeah, with uh, elbow soreness. Yeah, and like they were thinking uh, Tyler Wells would have started the year out of the pen, at least most likely. Like That is not a guy who's going to give you 160 innings or anything like that. Uh, He's really... Like I, I feel like ideally the Orioles are going to have Tyler Wells in like the role where the Giants put Jacob Junis last year, like where right. he threw around a hundred innings for them, just kind of at various points where they needed to clean up. You know, whenever maybe if they had Manaya go two, three innings and he hadn't been stretched out or or something like that. I suppose in the Orioles' case, it would be if you have a Cole Irvin start that goes four innings or, um, I don't know, Dylan Tate pitches two and then you go to Tyler Wells or something like that. You could use him as a piggyback kind of guy. But the fact that you know we've already just saw them lose two starters already proves that that is a very pie-in-the-sky type dream for this roster, especially stretched as thin as they have been uh Corbin Burns like ultimate necessity at the top of that rotation which otherwise would have been entirely dependent on a Grayson Rodriguez breakout which I do think is coming but um beyond that still would have had Dean Kramer as the two like the one the <laughs> one thing that can really screw this whole thing up is is their pitching yeah. um and it's it's uh, as I said I have a similar concern with the Yankees Maybe it's a thing around the league. I mean, how many teams do you feel fully confident in their rotation right now? Like maybe the Dodgers? Is that it? <laughs> like, it's just pitching. Great. Like it's the state of pitching. Yeah. It's just kind of the way it is. You have to get, you know, really a lot of starts out of guys who you uh you picture in your mind as your 6 through 10 starters. Um that's just the way it goes. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. 
But you know what's fun about Fangraphs, by the way? Very underrated features, having the signing info, the original signing info. Dylan Tate was the fourth overall pick in the draft. That's crazy. Fourth overall pick in the 2015 draft. And then he was traded to the Yankees for Carlos Beltran. Yes, what a wild time. Yeah, what a <laughs> time yeah. to be alive. Fun. You have uh, yeah Keegan Aiken, second rounder. It's a fun feature. Fun what feature. about the Brewers? This clearly signals a waving of the white flag, so to say. We already know that they we got rid of Away. yeah we did yes we did we, we called that last year you can go back to our playoff preview we said that if they screw this up and they probably will then it's over and they did and it is <laughs> so nailed it <laughs> victory lap for us yeah i mean we yeah. saw them get rid of brandon woodruff with his busted up shoulder we will probably sure see him sign by the way in the next week or so i would imagine yeah. they will yeah. not get him back somebody else i don't know who it's going to be but <laughs> for years, we've talked about the Brewers. We've talked about their hitting is mediocre, but they've had a three-headed monster at the top of the rotation ever since 2021 with Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. And now, of course, two of those pitchers are gone. Woodruff still a free agent, and the trade of Corbin Burns to the Orioles leaves Peralta as the ace with eternal health questions surrounding his elbow and uh, his ability to stay on the mound for a full season. Behind him, you have Wade Miley, the aforementioned Jacob Junis, who shouldn't be starting and should be in that bullpen role that the Giants had him in, Colin Rea, and they have D.L. Hall slotting into the five. Like I said, a lot of bullpen risk for Hall, but I ultimately am pretty confident that he can stick in the back end of a rotation. And if the Brewers are going to be bad this year, which it fully seems like they will, there's going to be those opportunities for him as well to get a number of starts. And he's going to have a bit of a longer leash out there to really figure it out and try to command his pitches against big league hitting. Yeah, real quick, am I crazy to think that I actually kind of like this lineup that they have better than the one they had last year. No, I completely agree. I I, I like it better year? than the one they had last year, too. It's just they've completely waved the white flag with their pitching staff, and I don't know really where they go from here. Like, they probably trade Adamus. I... They just, actually, they're not getting rid of Adamus. Really? They said, they said that? not trading Adamus or uh, let me just check that report that I got recently. Where did I get it? Yeah, they're, they said they're planning on not shopping Devin Williams or Willie Adamus. Okay. Um, well, then it seems like, I mean, God. Willie Adamus traded by the end of the week, actually, now that I think about it. It's per Joel Heyman. But um, we'll see. I, I It makes sense. Um, hold on to him if they think that they can compete. It doesn't if they are trying this whole youth movement reset thing. Um, they do. They they just signed Jackson Cheerio to that like what twelve year contract or whatever. No, it's like six. Wasn't it? No, I thought it was more than that. Cheerio, they, they, they didn't sign him for no. The Cheerio got like six year, sixty million, I believe. Oh, they have Cheerio being or, uh, eight what? years. Sorry, eight years. Right. Eight years, eighty million. Um, so Cheerio is definitely going to be a factor this year. He's nineteen. Um, they have Joey Ortiz penned in right now on Fangraphs as being their nine-hole hitter at third base. Um, it's uh, I don't know this. I don't hate this lineup. Reese Hoskins, Sal Freelick is twenty-three. 
Um, I mean, they have that trio of young lefties with Freelich, Garrett Mitchell, and Bryce Terang, and I feel like those three are going to be pretty important to how well this transition period goes for the Brewers. You know, whether they're able to... I don't know. I don't even want to consider the possibility of them contending in that division, but you have to admit it's wide open. I also like this lineup. Uh, I think the Hoskins signing was a very good one. Getting William Contreras was huge, acquiring that franchise catcher. Um, And then they got, like, Joey Weimer off the bench. People sleep on him a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, they got Gary Sanchez now off the bench as well. Abner Uribe out of the pen. Got to mention him. Like, Devin Williams is disgusting, but so is he. Like, they... Freddie Peralta is great, too, by the way. You can't, like, it's, you know, you can't say that their their pitching is complete crap. I mean Wade Miley and Fred Peralta are good. Jacob Junis is fine, serviceable. Like Yeah, he's just I, like I don't an want arm. To say that they can compete, you're right. But at the same time, yeah, this division really is open. I mean like are they worse than the Reds? Yes. Yeah, but how much? <laughs> are they worse than the Cubs? Like yes. how much? Yeah, but but how much? Like I would say a- by a deviation. I don't know. <laughs> A one standard deviation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that this division is going to be settled until like late September. I don't either. And, but like at the same time, they could go out and trade Adamas tomorrow. And like, I, I don't know what Yelich's situation yeah. is. They're probably stuck with him. But, uh, like, the they, they could go make more garage sale type moves tomorrow. And I would still feel like the lineup is going to win them enough games where like they won't have a top 10 pick or or anything like that oh and also the other thing i wanted to say about the trade is acquiring that 34th pick um has me thinking that they are much more likely to go under slot with wherever they're picking probably like 18th or so depending where they finished last year in the draft so that they can probably get one of those like high school bats that go later than they should because of signing bonus money with that 34th pick. Like, I, I don't know when, when that time comes, I'm probably going to want to remember that I said this for my mock draft. Like, <laughs> it, it, I, I don't know. But the last thing that I would want to say about the impact of this trade on Milwaukee is I think it could potentially open up the door for Robert Gasser and Jacob Mizorowski to enter the rotation, especially if the team uh, has a lackluster season and they fall out of contention. They might be a little bit more willing to see what those young kids have got and let them work out any potential kinks uh, in non-competitive games, but against big league hitting. Mizorowski, in particular, is one of my favorite pitching prospects in the league right now. So I do feel like losing Burns and Woodruff in this rotation, it's got to be mentioned that uh, they have a couple very exciting pitching prospects. Their organization waiting for them. Uh, they drafted Josh Noth this year as well. He's a few years away. But Josh Noth, they drafted this year. It's a he's a pitcher. But yeah. like I do think that they have there are guys in their organization who I feel like they could be very excited about moving forward. And if they're able to, you know, like we said, execute this transition period nicely to try to turn some of these veteran contracts into maybe 
pitching depth or youth or what have you like they could be able to contend again in a year or two especially with a phenom like jackson churio joining the lineup this year oh the only uh thing stopping them from i think actually uh maintaining i guess this window that they've been in i i don't think that's fair to say not maintaining because this roster is completely different yeah it's, um, it's, it's christian yelich he's 32 is there anything left <laughs> i mean they need they don't have a star bat other than i guess you could kind of say reese hoskins jackson Churio is not going to be anything remotely like that um if anything for a few years if he ever will be um let me see. He's projected for a two sixty average of seventeen harbors and twenty four stolen bases. That's solid, but he's also nineteen. So I don't know about that. If Christian Yelts can be anything at all, uh, in the next few years then this team has at least some kind of chance, but they need some kind of force in their lineup. Otherwise they've got not much to rely on. I guess William Contreras can give you twenty homers, Reese Hoskins will give you thirty. But other than that, eh. D.L. Hall going to the Brewers just makes me want to compare him to Josh Hader. Like, the, I don't know. The fact that they're both just hard-throwing lefties with, you know, Hall has worse no. control problems, but uh, they've both got long hair. I don't know. That's, yeah, that helps. Uh, yeah, they, they had lost Andrew Chafin out of their pen. They've only got they Hobie both have weird Milner. What did you say? They both have weird tweets from a decade ago. Oh, I hope not. I do think that they're going to give Hall every chance to start, but uh, if it doesn't work out with him, you know, he would be, I think, a pretty high leverage reliever. And I feel the same way about Mizorowski, and I, but in his situation, I feel like the ceiling is a lot higher, and I, I think there's less bullpen risk with him than there is with Hall. But, you know, where both of those guys to go to the pen, they would be one of the best back-end duos in the league for for years to come. So there are things to look forward to in Milwaukee. Um, Which is surprising coming off of all this again, because it seems like they were, as we came into this segment, and as I think the world saw this as them waving the white flag, and you look through it. More than I was expecting. I actually don't hate where they're at right now. Yeah. Moving on. I yeah, think. yeah. moving on from there. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and Jose Altuve are both staying. Altuve was not actually a free agent this offseason, right? No, he was not. He signed an extension for extension. five more years through the 2029 season, 125 mil. believe That's that right. brings his career guaranteed money over 300 mil. Like, I think he's the highest paid second baseman ever now with that money. Wow. And then Clayton Kershaw got a two-year deal with $10 million guaranteed, $5 million each year, with a shit ton of incentives. In 2025, he could make a total of like $25 million were he to succeed and the Dodgers to go all the way or whatever. Okay, so Kershaw, obvious this was going to happen, right? He was going to be going back to the Dodgers. This is now the third year in a row that he's done this. Like, in, he was a free agent in 2021, signed for 22 for a year, signed in 23 for a year, and now he's signed for, what, two, right, um, now? So, like, I don't know. Can they? Why didn't they just, like, give him a contract? He's 30, what? 30, okay, 35. 35. Max Scherzer is how old? Justin Verlander is how old? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, can we just 
get him locked up so that they don't have to do this every year? I feel, like, mad for him. Like, no, is- I feel like this is probably Kershaw's decision. Like, there was a lot of speculation this offseason as to whether he might sit out this season or just, like, straight up retire. That did not happen, of course. Um, and people are talking about him like he's washed, which he, I mean, for Kershaw, that's washed. He had a 246 ERA last year in 131 innings pitched. It is pretty crazy how people are are talking about him like his career is over. Like I don't think one playoff start has ever affected. It's so strange the perception of a guy like it has in also Clayton Kershaw this offseason. He had a two twenty eight ERA in twenty twenty two. Again, one hundred thirty seven strikeouts in each of the last two seasons. One hundred forty four in twenty twenty one. He's good still. <laughs> like I mean, he doesn't throw two hundred innings anymore. Like he hasn't in a while. He throws like he threw one hundred twenty one in twenty twenty one. He threw one hundred twenty six last year and one hundred thirty or. Two years ago, excuse me, 131 last year. I just, like, the perception of him is so strange to me. I don't understand. Like, is, is it because his peak was so high and he can't do that anymore that his whole image is no longer as this great pitcher? Like, is that what happened? I think so. Good. Like, and now we just, he's like, eh, it's just so weird. Like, I yeah, care. I think a lot of people felt like their biases toward him were confirmed when he gave up six runs in the first against Arizona. And, like, they were convinced that he would always be this playoff choke artist who, you know, only is able to show up in the regular season. Like, I don't think that that's true. The fact that his... And a half ERA in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. I think like the fact that his stuff is not totally there anymore, but the numbers are still good, speaks to how he's able to adapt as a pitcher, and it speaks very highly to how he might be able to continue pitching into his old age. And like when you pitch for the Dodgers you don't really have to be giving that many innings. Like, how many innings do no. we think that Tyler Glass now is going to pitch well, this year? He's never gone over 120. Probably, they could do a six-man rotation. They should. A couple years. Like, they really they should. Of course they should. Like, they have, they've got Yamamoto, Glass now, Bobby Miller, Paxton, and Emmett Sheehan is listed on Fangrass, but that's going to be Kershaw's there five. Um, so next year, when you add Shohei into that, if you add Shohei into that, like, we don't know what the deal is going to be with that. Um, first of all, they do a six or a six day rotation, I think, in Japan, right? Or is it seven? Is it that you pitch once a week? I don't, I don't remember. I think you pitch once a week in Japan. Um, Otani to reduce the strain that you're going to have on him, it would probably be for the best anyway. And then if you add in Kershaw, if you want to keep him around through like age 38, like let's say that's where Verlander's at, or sure, or no, Verlander's 40 something. Yeah, Verlander's 40. So. No reason to believe, and Granky's old as hell. Granted, he hasn't been good in a while, but like you know, these guys do stick around for a bit. So if Kershaw wants to keep going and he's still giving you good innings in the regular season, why not take it for the Dodgers? And then you can reduce the strain on these other guys. Who again, you get Yamamoto used to MLB in a six man. That's good. You get the strain off of Shohei. That's good. You get Glass now, who's been kind of an injury risk for years. You get less strain on him. Like you know. I, I don't see a downside for these guys. And they also, they just have so much talent. I, like, I don't know. The one thing with the Dodgers, and I said about the Chiefs, until they lose, you have to be afraid of them. Until the Dodgers win, I'm not worried about them. <laughs> Which is how I want to end that. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I was just saying about Glass now, I feel like situationally for the Dodgers, like they've got a couple of pitchers 
on their team that are very unlikely to give them anything more than like 130 innings. And they... How many do you think Yamamoto is going to throw every year? He's little. Do you really want 200 innings on Yamamoto every year? I would, yeah, no, I would say 150, 160 out of him. I mean, ideally... Like Tony one, can't throw two hundred innings. No, I don't think Glasnow's ever thrown one fifty. Glasnow's never thrown one thirty. Jesus Christ! Yeah. yeah, there you go. So it's like they're they've kind of stacked a number of these guys together, where it's like you're not going to get as many innings as you are out of a like Zach Gallen or Logan Webb, but I think that they know that they're going to be so many games over five hundred that they're going to find themselves in. A position where they're like okay we can play around with these innings and we can call some guys up and we can give gavin stone a bunch of starts and we can see what like uh right. have a lot of prospects yeah like she and you mentioned is gonna be a big yep. part of their their staff this year the dodgers are always able to churn out these guys where like if you have to put glass now on the il for a month which you almost certainly will like that's going to be fine and if you lose clayton kershaw for a month that's going to be fine as well but if they can figure out a way to get all those guys healthy at the same time in october that's going to be a very very difficult team to beat i mean i think this team is going to be really hard to beat in the regular season as is no matter what like it's just it's they're the dodgers you know that's what they do they Mm -hmm. show up they come through town and they beat you. That's that's kind of their whole brand right now. Um, but, again, I'm not worried about them in the playoffs until they make me worried about them in the playoffs. I, I have no fear. Didn't Fair they get bounced by the Mets two years ago or something? Like, I, I don't – they don't scare me. Giants, I think. It was the Giants, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's great for baseball, I think, that you have a team like this just because it's like fucking Stars Roadshow. Um, like that's kind of fun. Yeah, and there's going to be a bit of a like heel narrative surrounding Otani now, which is kind of interesting. We've never seen anything like that. He was with the Angels. Especially if they don't win anything, like that's really fun. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm good with it. I'm good with their role. I just uh, I I'm I don't know. I don't want to lose them in the World Series if the Yankees end up seeing them there. That's the one thing. But I'm not worried about that. No. Not <laughs> that colors way. my whole outlook on everything generally. So it's, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Dodgers have shelled out over $1 billion in free agency that this offseason. We saw. And that was only two guys. Jorge Soler signed this week. I think we see Brandon Woodruff sign soon. One, but who we are not seeing sign. Are Scott Boris's clients the Boris chorus of four plus must sign or bust players? Whoa, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, JD Martinez, and Matt Chapman all still available on the free agent market. All of them represented by one Mr. Scott Boris. Uh, Brody, what do you make of this? I make of this that um, this is getting a little ridiculous. I think the common wisdom, it seems to be, is that Boris is waiting for the pitchers um, to sign until one of these teams has a major injury in spring training, and a team gets desperate and says, oh, shit, we need Blake Snell right now. Stat. We need 10 cc's of Jordan Montgomery tomorrow. Um, So that's the plan, I think, and they get desperate and they sign for way more than they should uh, or than they want to. Um, And I say want to because it's very clear that if he was getting... Uh, or if teams were willing to go to what 
Scott Boris wants them to pay. Which for Snell is nine years, two hundred and seventy million, something that he's just never getting in a million years. No, for a guy with a fifteen percent walk rate, no. Um, I think the Yankees offered Snell. The reported was what, like six for one fifty or something, which is very, very reasonable in my eyes. <laughs> fair, that seems fair. That's what Rodone got, I think, like pretty much the exact same contract. I think yeah. he got one seventy. That feels fair. Um, anything more than that is a ridiculous overpay for Blake Snell. I don't really know if he's expecting to get that kind of money, um, but they aren't signed yet, so I don't know. Montgomery is not like. He's not a stud pitcher. He doesn't have any Cy Young, so I, I feel like they should have been able to work out a contract somewhere for Ray Montgomery. I think the fact that he pitched so well in the World Series is complicating the whole thing um, because Boris obviously is trying to say, hey, like there's a reason that all these guys are, you know, are Boris guys. They're, they're there to get the most money. Scott, he's going to say, like, this is a World Series hero. This is a two-time Cy Young winner. This is a gold glove, platinum glove third baseman. This is a guy, you know, a former MVP rookie of the year in Bellinger, like it, it, who's a bounce back, changes his whole thing, whatever. They all have reasons to sell them, but they also have a lot of reasons to be like, hey, uh, every time Blake Snell doesn't win the Cy Young, he's bad. Jordan Montgomery, every year except last year in the World Series, not great. Like, good, reliable, but like not great. Like, not like $30 million a year kind of pitcher. Matt Chapman can't hit. Cody Bellinger was bad. For five years, like or two years, two years. Yeah. Um, so it's like, um, and JD Martinez is thirty six. Um, so it's, I don't understand what he's expecting, <laughs> um, or if teams are just uh, kind of maybe playing him too and just saying, hey, we'll wait. Like you know, I'm not giving you all that money. You have to get these guys signed. They have to play this year. Um, so we'll wait till you drop your price. Yeah, it feels like a Mexican standoff between these guys. Um, I think Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery are in pretty similar situations. Cody Bellinger as well, where um, they are hitting free agency at a very favorable time. In Snell's case, coming off of his second Cy Young season, uh, Bellinger coming off of a huge bounce back with the Cubs after, like you said, he was abysmal for two years after looking yeah. like, you know, one of the young phenoms in the league in 2020. but He surprised me the most. I will say that he has not signed. I feel like some team would have given him, like, I don't know, six for 120 or something, and I feel like they would have taken that. Like, that's – or or something like that. That like, I agree with. Um, the easy conclusion to draw is that Boris is doing the same thing he's doing with Snell and expecting just some team to overpay – give up the world for these guys you know but like in in snell's case you know Alexander bogarts yeah (laughs) no in snell's case like i mentioned that very high walk rate i mean like i I think he's a very similar pitcher to dylan cease like who almost won the cy young in 2022 it was he finished as the runner up to justin verlander and then last year we saw a ton of regression out of him like right. Snell has given you those seasons as well. Like, like you said, you know, when, when everything isn't clicking for these guys, these really electric stuff, low control pitchers, they can unravel very quickly. And no one is going to commit $270 million to Blake Snell right now. I mean, like he's not Andre's a guy done. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to happen. Um, of, of course, somebody's going to work something out with these guys. I think you're right that in the, the case of the pitchers, they're waiting for somebody to suffer an injury like the Orioles just did. You know, we'll see if maybe they go out and sign right. Jordan Montgomery in the next two days yeah, or something. Like, I don't see them going after Snell. But like, Montgomery fits there, I think. He would too. be That's a great fit, especially with Baltimore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he'd I be a very good fit. He knows the division, obviously. He, he's an American League guy. Like, I, I don't know. That that feels pretty good. Yeah, and uh, like with John Means now taking a step back, like they don't know if they're going to have any lefties in that rotation. I don't know. Malcolm, yeah. I think it could work. And yeah, they, they just traded D.L. Hall, too. So, like, they really need a lefty. Guy, you know, if you're the Orioles, why? You need a guy who's been there, done that. Totally. Like that's a, Monty's a good guy to have there. Um, but, yeah, this – I. I Bellinger again really surprises me. Like I am very surprised that nobody has even uh, like put out an offer that's been public. Have you heard anything? Like I, I haven't. No. Yeah, I, I really haven't. It's it's shocking with this guy. Like what team couldn't use this skill set? Like last year, he, what did he hit? He hit like three something. I three couldn't tell you. Three oh seven with twenty six homers. Sheesh. Yeah, like, it's very surprising. Man. 87 strikeouts, too, by the way, in 130 games. Mm-hmm. Really caught him down. I mean, that's really good. I don't know. Like, granted, this has come from somebody who at the beginning of the offseason was like, I would not touch Cody Bellinger with a 10-foot stick. No, I don't uh, want him on the Yankees. <laughs> it's kind of funny doing the whole yeah, stick. Like, but, yeah, what I'm no, I get it. Is that he's going to take a lot of money from the Rockies <laughs> and go disappear. <laughs> but, yeah. Like Chris Bryant. Oh, yeah, that's sad. good for baseball. I think Cody Bellinger should be a premier player somewhere. That's more fun. I agree. Yeah, I think he's. I think he should honestly go back to the Cubs. Yeah. Hey, um, Tampa. Why don't you go sign a oh, free agent? Ew. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're not. They're. I think their payroll is low, and they're. It is. Their projected they, right yeah. fielder right now is Will Abreu. <laughs> That's true. All so, right. Fine. I'm. I'm convinced. Yeah. You probably got to me. the Red Sox. There you go. Yeah. Uh, probably to the Red yeah. Sox. Last thing for today, Manfred out in 2029. Do you give a shit? Bye. Yeah, Thank goodbye. You, See you Thanks later. A lot of things. Get ready or bring your fucking runner with you. Yep. Made a lot of things worse. Made the game 10 minutes slap quicker. On the wrist. Yeah. Gave <laughs> the Astros a slap on the wrist for a massive cheating scandal that won them a World Series. Joe was executed at gunpoint. <laughs> Pete Rose was tarred and feathered. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have Whatever. much more of an interesting take on the commissioner of baseball than I feel like most would. You know, it's uh, he is an employee of the owners, so whoever the owners appoint to replace him will be just as much of a puppet as he is. And uh, probably, yeah, that will con- yeah probably. Congratulations okay. in five years to Morgan Sword. Think about like I don't know, eight years ago, maybe eight, like nine, seven, eight, nine years ago, somewhere in there. Everybody wanted Roger Goodell like hung and like drawn and quartered. Hang. And now like I haven't heard anybody mention his name even, and we just had the Super Bowl. Like nobody was talking about Goodell. 
he was like in there he was like in and out when he said the trophy thing like and enough times that he couldn't get booed that was really smart like yeah the i mean i remember when the, the like ray rice thing happened everybody was like certain it was the end of his reign but uh that didn't happen um but anyway yeah goodell has done some serious image rehabilitation i guess <laughs> maybe the next decade will be uh the manford rehabilitation tour he's just gonna go out and be a philanthropist yeah you'll bring baseball supplies to like underprivileged kids and like you know get rid of his stupid runner and like you know reincarnate branch ricky or something i don't know do some (laughs) stuff that'll be good for the game that has been it for the mudville podcast today thank you guys we talk spring training games should be at least right around the corner if not having already started Um, i think they should be right around the corner we're gonna certainly get back into a weekly schedule thank you to everybody who has stuck with us through our brief little hiatus there um we are back we're gonna (laughs) rip a bunch of divisional preview episodes uh we've got mr prospect sauce coming back by the way that should be coming very soon fantastic Um, but yeah we're gonna get our uh yeah absolutely the previews divisional previews um maybe morgan would join us for that would love that keen uh followers of the mudville will remember that last year we only may have done an american league that may have happened this year it will not (laughs) (laughs) um the national league and the american league very exciting stuff. All 30 teams. You can go support the show at patreon.com slash mudville. We would thank you so much. We would love you forever. We will. And on this Valentine's Day, isn't that all you want? Love. Oh, <laughs> I think so. I think so, too. Well, Ben. That has been it for fun. us. We'll catch you guys next time. Yeah.